Hey, Piano Man, thanks for coming over tonight, getting this ASL game in. You know, I had it all set up, and then my opponent had to cancel. Hey, Dave, it's a pleasure. Always love to get a game in. You know, some people say you got your priorities all wrong. You play too much ASL. Oh, man, Dave, that's not true at all. Yeah, well, anyway, I think it's your turn. You know, you know how is it you... I'm so amazed. You're able to play the piano and play us all at the same time. You're, you're just an amazing guy. Oh, thanks, Dave. A man of many talents, that's what they call me. Well, anyway, I think it's your move. All right, now, let me take a look at my counters here. Hey, hey, look out there. There's a funeral pr- pr- procession passing by there. Let me take my... It's nice of you to take your hat off. That's very respectful of you. Well, you know, it's the least I could do. After all, we were married for 25 years. The Two Half Squads, the one and only podcast dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Lita. I am your host, Dave, and sadly, Jeff cannot be with us this evening. There's been a bit of a snow here in Chicago. This is episode 192, Objective Schmidt, and it's a snow day tomorrow for me, Dave. Jeff's had some other things come up and was had to cancel tonight. We have a ton of things we want to bring to you here in February and March. So I'm going to go ahead and put a show together. Kind of similar to 190. I know. Just as always, not nearly as entertaining without Jeff. But I'll do my best. Um, so... Yeah, it is February 8th, 2018, show 192, simply named Objective Schmidt, because I won't have any witty quotes without Jeff here, but I have received Forgotten War, and I have also received Objective Schmidt, and I recorded some terrain readings from the Objective Schmidt to put into a different show, so I'm going to use that tonight to tack in here. Uh, it's about 20 minutes, and then a, another pad, um, the mouse pad from Broken Ground uh, game a scenario analysis that I had completed months ago, similar to the others that I had done uh, with, um, I believe it's Rick Hollander, and we'll put that in here, and it'll be about 12, 13 minutes, and taking a look at this uh, new game, Objective Schmidt. So... It's time for water in the box. Yeah, I had to do that without the technology, so you'll have to pardon the quality of the recording again this evening. This is straight up on the PC. No microphone whatsoever. 
But looking at this wonderful product from Bounding Fire Proje Productions, Objective Schmidt, um, we have a nice uh, cover, but it is a photograph. And yes, I know, listeners, some of you really want us to do the, um, you know, photography can be art, but yeah, unless it's a painting, I'm just not going to do anything with it right now. Maybe I'll revisit that that at some point. And the first thing out of this box is there are two full counter sheets and one half counter sheet of five eighths. Is that the right size inch counters? And these beauties are going to pop right out of there really well, I can tell already. Uh, the half sheet is the five eighths inch counters um, with the airplanes. Uh, these are the rocket planes, I believe. Yes, these are the rocket uh, armed airplanes. Rule 8 in the rules here also shows that reinforcement group options allow for the purchase of rockets as an addition to an aircraft RG purchase. So it shows the armament for the rockets in red, 115 millimeter rockets. And then the rule goes on, but we'll look at that later. So you're going to get eight. 44 fighter bombers and of course the artwork on these is better than the MMP products it's got the uh, stripes on the wings that I thought were first used or only used for the nor for the D-Day stuff I think I never think I remember painting them on my miniature gliders for a war game the black and white stripes for identification um, there's a couple of M1 57L AT guns, M10, GMC tanks, M29s. What are those things? I don't know. They're all American. Guess I haven't played those. Or are those new? There's also some in the German color as well, or if they're captured. And then you have some 82 mortars, EM over 37R. So these are the Russian mortars in German colors, as well as some American AT guns, the 7Ls in German colors, and Jeeps in the German colors, as well as some M5s, M20s, and then some German vehicles in the German colors, uh, Panzer 4Js, I don't know why um, they were included, unless maybe they didn't think there's enough in the standard game, there probably is, um, the Russian vehicles in the German colors, Panzer 5Gs, some Stugs, a couple, and some more Russian artillery pieces, and an LEFK-16NA. What is that? I don't know. And then in American colors, some N20s, M10 vehicles, right? Um, M4A3s, a lot of those, M10 GMCs. And then the... Um, Set of counters for the weather. Mild breeze gusts with the descriptions on them of the rule. Uh, clear, clear and gusty rain with the rain ranges, heavy rain, how it stops on a die roll, three or less wet. And a uh, rain track, 10 consecutive player turns equals mud. So some of those would be specific to this particular game, I'm imagining. And, <clears throat> well, for sure. So one thing they've done with this objective spin is to, uh, like LFT does, use some of the counters in different colors 
than the original nationality. So when you capture it, you don't have to keep it in a different color with your Germans. They can switch out uh, Russian captured, you know, weapon in the German colors to match real nicely. Uh, the second counter sheet is the American half-inch counters. Again, the cutting looks really nice. Uh, yeah, I think these will pop out pretty well. The middles come right apart real easily, and they're swinging back and forth. I haven't punched this yet, though. And it has the uh, engineers for the Americans on this counter sheet, and that is described in rule... What rule are we looking at? Americans as in, uh, engineers on uh, rule 9. Uh, this is included to reflect the experience level, training, equipment of the units that fought in the Hurtgen Forest. Printed data is used unless SBR, special rule, denotes them as assault engineers or, or sappers. They all are 747 and 547s. And then their half squads. They have an ELR equal to the scenario printed ELR in this game. So they show the progression for these. The 747 American would become, which do, doesn't come with this set, they have an objective Schmidt giving you the 547. So they want them to go down to that counter, still elite, rather than what the normal rules would say. And a 337 elite American from basic ASL would go down to a 237. All right, and they've done the same for the German engineers. Um, similar rules as for the American, but the 838s, subject to replacement, they want them to go to these 537s that they've uh, made for this objective Schmidt. So. And then the uh, 338 half squads to the 237s, and then down to the conscripts, 236s. Oh, yeah, and for the full squad, 838 to a 537 to a 436 conscript. So, different progression there a little bit. Um, continuing with the American sheet, some concealment counters W, double V, double X, double Z, small AA. Uh, Heroes and leaders with various names. Um, imagining historically accurate to the battle. Some acquired counters, again, half-inch. And German concealment counters. And allied location markers on the back axis location. And then axis and allied counters with a red line pointing. I think those are to mark the perimeters. If you're doing the campaign games, you get a set of crews here that are 227s. But again, great artwork, American uniforms, multicolor with the brownish pants, khaki, that khaki, and a greenish top that you saw a lot at the, um, the paint miniatures and, and the uh, more tan, uh, tan or lighter colored um, legging straps. What do they call those things? Uh, oh, I used to know this in marching band. But, anyway, and that seems to round off this counter sheet. Looking at the German counter sheet, it's a full sheet all in German blue or field grau. There is a turn counter specific to the 89th Infantry Division. Germans on one side and the 28th 
Infantry Division Green American on the back. Some bazookas. These are all German colors. So again, you get a bunch of support weapons. Russian heavy machine guns. U.S. bazookas. Medium machine guns are standard German, that appears to me. Russian medium. Some Russian mortars. Again, these are the half inch. Uh, LMGs. 2-508-15s. I don't recognize that artwork or what nationality would have those as lights. Well, these have unique artwork on them anyway. There are some 467s. 447s. And their corresponding half squads. Some crews, a bunch of crews, 228s, and again those elite engineer or sapper counters to unit replace to lower with different, and a bunch of American mediums dismantled counters for American uh, weaponry also, American mortars, five of those down there, and then it's a bunch of leader counters. Also historically accurate, but I would take note, everyone, that there is FW. He's an 80. What's an FW? A field warbler? That's no, a bird. <laughs> field warbler? I don't know my German leader names. Forgive me. And it is Klein. Klein. And I thought I saw Schmidt. There it is. OG Schmidt. Obstafur Gruber Gruber Aber Gruber Schmidt. 7 0 leader. So I have made it again into a counter sheet, folks. Split up this time into two, much like MMP did when they gave me the honor. And one of those, was it a starter kit or something? The Klein and the Schmidt counters. I'm a somebody. And if those really aren't me, don't, don't. You don't have, no one has to mention it, okay? All right, thanks. You don't have to mention it. I mean, I can't guarantee those were for me, but they must be. What other Klein and Schmidt? Not like it's a common German, those are common German names, you know? So that covers the counters that you get with this wonderful product. Let me look at the maps. Now, I didn't preview these ahead of this very moment. I did look through a lot of the rules, obviously, as I told you. We're going to do a more thorough reading of that today than you normally get in on what's in the box. But this map is Objective Schmidt. has the rain track on the bottom, your direction counter. It's a big, big hill, and it must connect. So I can't leave this out here. So I know some of these all connect. I was reading that somewhere. So that's one um, giant hill. And that's cool. You know, this is more like real life terrain. It does have slopes. Now don't be afraid of the slopes, people. Because you can handle it. You can do it. You can play the slope rules. This would be the game to learn on. I'm looking at another board. These are the these are just big maps. The hexes are the larger size. Uh, 
there's a level chart printed on this one from negative 5 to a positive 5. So 10 levels on these. This one says Zubinchen on it on the city over there. And Schmidt. Hey, I think this whole game is named after me. Objective Schmidt. I wonder if their next game is going to be Objective Klein. What do you think, people? And here's the other half of that map. Nope, this has to be even more. This is big, folks. It's fantastic. Nice, crisp. Yep, there's a left half, right half of Schmidt. I got it. still another map. This is three so far. And this must be the top the weather status chart on this and this board is marked SC so is that what is that Schmidt I don't know RX no I'm not getting this matched up properly there's the call trail showing an American entrance place there terrain has printed Boxes on it. Open another map. This one, okay, this one looks like the other half of that first map. It's a very long, it's gotta go, it's gotta fit. Yeah, G44 to G42. Yeah, it's the other half of the um, really long hill. And with some slopes, some pre-printed shell holes down around. There looks like the end of a river coming in the bottom. Some woods. So that's one two-section se map. That's this really long hill. And then, here's the call trail again. This must overlap. Is this the sixth one? Has the level chart. There's the half of the wind counter. You overlap. Yeah, this has to overlap. Oh, don't tear your map, Dave! Uh, sure. Overlap these two, and you get a map called SC. Geisife is a little town there. And this looks like, yeah, nice river coming in. There's some lines denoted on the map. So that's one. That's yeah. That's com. Commerceite. Careful how you say that. Commerceite. That's that map. Then this long hill map. And the Schmidt map. So I think that's what I'm looking at here. All, all very cool. Obviously, you're a big fan. Bounding fire and ASL.
So, yep, this is a whole lot of fun terrain to go fight over. So get to it, folks. Get that game and get to it. Then, in the box, there's the... It didn't come with a plastic container for all these pieces once you took the shrink wrap off. But the, re the rest of this, well, let me get into the scenarios. Scenarios. Of course, designed by Chaz Smith. OS4, Bad Omen. This is going to be played on the lower right corner of Schmidt Map. OS3, Schindler's Limp. Clever play on the movie title there, everybody, eh? That plays on the upper right corner. Hex Rose A8RR. I won't try and get into all the details here, obviously, until we start playing through them, and then we'll give you some replays and some other information. Bad Onan, OS4. All these are, of course, American, German. OS5, Disaster at Schmidt, coming on two counters, on two, um, oh, uh, scenario cards. You know, so it's all big, 11 turns. Tons of counters, so you're going to get your big games in here. This one's going to be half of the board, of the Schmidt board it must be. And special rules, that's five. I haven't seen six yet. Here's seven. Devil's Sunday, it's the left half of said map. Again, German-Americans, there's got to be a huge variety of, of uh, setups on these. Oh, eight. Toehold, nice little six turn. You get a little game in there. Played around the mid-left side of the board. Smaller area, of course. So, some good small sizes for you. Another six turner on the back of that. OS9, walk the walk. Six turner, looking at maybe a dozen counters, maybe 20, five tanks per side, and so on. OS10, Greyhounds. That was some of those vehicles I was looking at, wasn't it? And the left half of the board again. Greyhounds, OS 10. Then OS, yeah, this is a big, long hill board. This is so cool. Um, because now they're going to shift to that other board for OS 11. Kickoff in Hurtgen. It's uh, that huge hill that's very, very long. One long finger of this hill or mountain. And OS 12 roll on. Medium-sized looking scenarios. Using first the left side of the board, then the center hex is 10 to 60. 6 0. Okay, again, of course, Americans, you get some, a lot of minefields, it looks like, in these. 13 is the more toward the right side of that long hill. The route, medium sized scenario. The back, OS 14. Objective Schmidt 14, drive them out of the little skinny section, uh, hexes 42 to 52 of that long hill. Only five turns, six squads for the German, 11 for the American. Going to get a nice small small game in there, introduce yourself to the game maybe. OS 15, hexes 44 to 55, another five turn or about eight to ten uh, counters or 12 each. 
Again, nice short one. Sappers as infantry is OS 16. And Chaz Smith. We got to interview Chaz Smith. We just have to interview Chaz Smith. Okay. And this long fingerboard here again. The whole board. 25. I found my next big game to do in one of those group games. You know how I was liking to do with uh, Mark Woods and Dave Timon and Tom Barkwell all the time. Let's move to Florida. OS 17. Looking at three groups entering for the Americans. 25 turns. Oh, I'd say a dozen plus wads per side. Each side, each guy gets a platoon of tanks. That's three, right? The back of the counter sheet of the scenario card has, am I looking at reinforcement options in platoons? Probably. Most likely. It's the same, I'm going to say, on the back of both. So each side can have a, like a reinforcement card. Germans. Look like maybe two groups set up to defend. Maybe have two players there, have three players take the Americans. The full long fingerboard, that is looking really intriguing. Maybe get to that in the springtime here. Then we have, have I lost my scenario one, OS one and two? I can't seem to find them at the moment. You get a little um, card, you know, with the historical battle rules for all Objective Schmidt scenarios. Map groups showing you the levels. They actually go from negative seven to six on another board. Uh, air support, burnout rec rules, sellers, off-board maps, terrain, and of course a depiction of the SC board. Is that, I think that was Schmidt. Yeah, it is. There's the town of Schmidt bottom. In miniature version, you know, it's good to have as a reference. A, another card, set up your campaign game for organizers for the Germans. Another one, one-sided each for the Americans. Got a box for Casualties, retained RGs, where those reinforcement groups, uh, from fortification counters, uh, spots for wounded leaders and heroes, and so on to track all that stuff when you're playing the campaign game. And MMP, or I'm um, sorry, Bounding Fire has gotten, they're really currying my favor with this, a blue sheet of paper. It's a, the blue sheet of paper that I'm so fond of. This is not three hole punch, but I'm just so happy to see that. You know how much I love my blue sheets of paper. And then into, looks like the rules this is the last section of what's in the box here. Page one runs down air support, bombardments, the town limits. Uh, they have yellow borders, boundaries on these maps. That's what those were, town limits. Uh, has no bearing on any non-campaign game scenario. Talks about the levels, the Soft ground, boar siding, terrain. Off, you know, sellers, burnout wrecks, swears in, American armor leaders, and so on. Especially, well, again, this must be like historical battle rules. So this would apply to all campaign game and non-campaign game scenarios. So it's the first thing you want to learn. Oh, a page of vehicle ordnance notes. Should have read this before I started talking to you about all the counters. Yeah, talks about the captured weapons, so I got that right. Various Russian, Germans unofficially put various Russian tank destroyers in, to use and they, as they were captured. Again, talking about those. 
There's a weasel. The British propose the M29 weasel. Is that the thing? I didn't know what it was. Is that new to this game? British proposed a fast, light-track vehicle that could transport small groups of commando troops across snow-covered terrain. In April 42, since no suitable vehicle existed in the U.S. inventory, the U.S. government asked automobile manufacturers to look into such a design. Studebaker created the T-15 cargo carrier, which later became the M-29 Weasel. I saw a model kit of one of these once. An amphibious version was also developed, which was designated as the M-29C Weasel. Weasels were manufactured... Produced in 42, designed to transport cargo casualties and wounded soldiers on stretchers. Neat O, etc., etc. Got special rules for that vehicle. That explains it. And you get your ordnance notes for the all the new counters. Here has two pages campaign game roster. You're going to want to copy that, I'm sure, for more campaign games. The back of the packet, which lays out. The actual totals, of course, um, 17 scenarios, 576 full-color half-inch counters, 88 5 inch. The two map sheets that are the town of Volsanok, that's the long hill. The four combined to represent the towns of Schmidt and Kommerscheidt, the divider and so forth. Then into the, the standard rules. Uh, I, I will read through these after a commercial break in, in quite a bit of detail. That's the train rules, BFP 1 through 5, page 5 gets into the rules for those engineers we looked at already, some definitions on page 6 and 7, and into the campaign game. So I don't do campaign games, haven't yet, I know, I, bad, bad me, bad Dave. With a, it's got a perimeter example, how to run that. Good illustrations, full color, escape tables, vehicle movement tables, leader hardening, battle hardening tables, and more. How to replenish your troops, the reinforcement group charts, page 20, 21, 23, 24, the leader tables, the support weapon allotments for the campaign. Again, think of all the research, folks. Got to have to interview Chad. Recon, inspection, are these footnotes? Nope, that's on the back. Page 26 is the footnotes. And in addition to all that, you get an article by Chad Smith on slopes in ASL. So these rules, I uh, read through them all. Did I record these also? No, I think I felt that would be too challenging right now. Oh! A white sheet of paper with three ring binder punched. Nice, like, car amazing. This game gets better and better. You know, I use those to record by hand all the games I've played, all 1,000, whatever. Uh, here's the other sheet I was missing. It got into my rules. Scenario OS1, the Schmidt Converse Schmidt map, upper right corner. It's like maybe night is falling at the end, or it just gets dark in the last two turns. And the Wolf's Howl, OS2, top kind of center of the board also for the Schmidt Kammerschmidt. And then the slope rules continue through page 31 and page 32 of the, the packet. So there you go, folks. I 
think I have covered everything. After this commercial break, why don't we delve into the rules themselves? Terrain. It'll be a little terrain time for you. Oh, Jeff! Jeff! Are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed. I've got my passport and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritterkrieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because a donor has donated our air flight <laughs> to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Krieg equipment, and we're going to Mayhem, Mayhem in, in Manila. Manila. And these OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that it, you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And you know what makes ordering from Ritter Krieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. <gasps> Impossible. Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritter Krieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com. R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. Hello, boys and girls. It's Terrain Time! So, we'll take a little Terrain Time from Objective Schmidt. Looking at the slope rules in Objective Schmidt, probably very similar to the other rules from MMP, but I haven't really compared them yet. But Anyway... Uh, slope hexides, Objective Schmidt, Rule 1.1. The slope is like a not uh, another crest uh, hilltop, so it's not like plateau style. It's um, kind of gives an undulation or a in the in the terrain, and it's substantial enough to give an upslope unit a line of sight advantage. They're represented by white hash marks on the maps. And rule 1.2, um, I'm kind of going to read these more than, I didn't take notes, because as I'm re reading them, I'm thinking, take, I'm going to just rewrite the whole rule, basically. So, uh, 1.2, a location whose hex contains greater than or equal to one slope hexide is either upslope or downslope to the line of side drawn across that hexide to or from that hex. If the slope lines are in the location's 
so the hatch hash marks are in your hex. Then the location is defined as being downslope across that hexide. And then if they're in an adjacent hex along that hexide, location is upslope across that hexide. A location can be both up and down slope across two different slope hexides. And it really makes sense visually when you look at it, like even in their example. Looks like the hash marks are thicker at the end that's kind of going up. So it, it just visually does make sense. And then 1.3, line of sight. Slopes are neither obstacles nor hindrances. Being upslope affects line of sight only in that an upslope location is treated as being three-quarters of a level higher than normal to the line of sight that begins or ends in that location and crosses an upslope hexide of that location. So barring other obstructions to line of sight, an upslope unit, even if not in a hill crest line hex, can trace line of sight across an upslope hex side of its hex to a lower elevation and over obstacles and hindrances whose topmost obstacle hindrance height is less than the upslope elevation of the viewing unit, exception entrenched units. So basically saying that being upslope allows you to see over any hindrances or obstacles, half level stuff, and so on. Otherwise, being upslope or downslope itself has no effect on line of sight. Slopes are ignored if the line of sight goes through their hex or along their hex side. Also, when calculating the increase or decrease in the number of line hexes caused by an intervening obstacle, being upslope itself can neither grant height advantage nor allow you to do a hold down attempt. The presence of greater than or equal to one slope hex side does not change the elevation of that hex's base level. So it does sound weird. You seem to have the same base level of the normal hex. It just kind of like the guys in that hex are up a bit, allowing them to see over other obstacles. Now I read through all these. It, it does make more sense, and especially when you look at the examples. But um, for fire lane, purposes of a fire lane, line of sight, line of fire, drawn across greater than or equal to one slope hex side, and then assume that the term same level means same base level. So, in effect, the fire lanes still work through the slopes because it's at the same base level. Remember, presence of a slope hexide does not change the elevation of the hex's base level. Just the viewing unit is raised up a bit on this kind of slope. So, cover... A slope can, in certain instances, provide a plus one TEM or plus one diro modifier. So, for direct fire, ground infantry, ground level infantry in a hex containing greater than or equal to three or two non-contiguous down slope hexides may claim a plus one slope. Think of them as they're down in this little bit of an indentation, and so they get a plus one diro modifier um, for fire against them. Um, there's some more complications to that, of course, but it's uh, that's basically the idea. The slope's train effect modifier is cumulative with no other plus TEM. So being upslope itself provides no TEM, does not negate movement open ground or non-assault movement, and does not affect wall advantage rules. 
And then looking at 1.42, fire lane dyro modifiers. Infantry being attacked by a fire lane receives a plus one fire lane slope dyro modifier if the firer is upslope from three quarters of a level higher than and not adjacent to that target. So, of course, I think if you're upslope, you're going to be three quarters of a level higher and just not adjacent to it. So then that infantry could get a plus one fire lane slope dyro modifier. An upslope attacker's fire lane cannot affect a target that lies at a different base level from that of the attacker. So now you're back to the regular, you know, colored levels, the green, the light brown, dark brown, etc. And they give good examples here, you know, you have to look at them in the rules there. And then 1.5 is entry. So it's just saying if you're down slope and you cross that hex side, you're going up. And if you're up, then you're going down. And then 1.51, movement factor cost. Entry infantry must expend half a movement factor plus cost of train to move up slope. So there's a little extra half a movement factor to go up. If you're on the road, does not negate the B3.4 movement factor road bonus. So that's okay. Movement points for vehicles. A unit that expends movement points must pay one plus the cost of terrain in order to move up slope. So it'll be a little more expensive, it seems, for vehicles. Of course, they go faster anyway. And then in the rain and ground snow. So if you have those rules in effect, when crossing a slope hex side and rain or ground snow is in effect, extra costs apply, just as if the moving unit is changing elevation. And an out-of-season orchards is, is um, a new terrain type. Well, it's type, it's a, uh, rule number two. So, 2.1. Now any hex containing four brown leafless depictions is considered an out-of-season orchard. And all out-of-season orchard rules apply normally. just has the picture showing the trees with all the little branches and, and no leaves on it, which you don't get in the MMP product day itself. So uh, rule 3.1 is discussing the partial out-of-season orchards. So basically you have a hex. Now I'm going to start to paraphrase this. I think the, um, the hex is got has three trees along like one side of a road and the other side of the road has no trees on it depicted at all. So basically when you're firing through those hex sides with the tree depictions then you count the hindrances etc. Um, and open ground all those I think all those rules just apply normally uh, as if it's through an orchard. Whereas if you're firing at a unit on the road through the three open hexes with no orchard depictions on that side then you get all your open ground stuff and no hindrance stuff going. so it's just pretty obvious you know the hex is not a uh, inherent terrain at all and then since it's not inherent terrain if you have two of these hexes next to each other uh, it says the well I'll read it since partial out of season orchard hexes are not inherent terrain the orchard hindrance in them is treated as inherent terrain for line of sight along a hex side. So firing along the hex side, it has to be common to two partial out of season orchard hexes 
only if that hexide is an orchard hexide. So, you know, you put two of these together. If you have one half of the hex is full of orchards adjacent to another hex that has half full of orchards, but those orchards are not on this, you know, connecting side of the hex, you don't count it, you know, hindrance when you fire through there, that hexide. Movement, 3.3. For movement purposes, when entering a partial out-of-season orchard hex, units are considered to be entering an orchard hex. They cross the orchard hex size. So same thing, if you enter across the open ground side, that's open ground. You open, enter through the orchard side, that's orchard, counts as orchard. Now, riders may only enter, exit a partial out-of-season orchard hex across an open ground hexide because otherwise if you come in the side with the orchards on it you're going through orchard and you got to bail out 3.4 partial out of season orchard hexes are not considered concealment terrain so sorry not enough concealment in there to get you hidden that's to deal with that rule 3.5 those hexes on the maps are considered open ground to aerial fire and to observation rules also. Then continuing rule four is different combination terrains that may not exist uh, in the MMP products. Um, 4.1 stream partial woods hex. All rules for stream woods apply the 33.1 MMP. Hex apply except as amended below. So it's different movement. The, the woods movement factor movement point cost is only cumulative with the other terrain of crossing one of the woods hex sides. Fully logical. Terrain effect modifier. The woods terrain effect modifier only applies to units in crest status on a woods hex side. The side that has the woods along the stream. Not the other side. 4.2. They have these building orchards. Entry cost of train for building orchard hex prior to any further modification for infantry is three movement factors and vehicles is one plus the normal building cost of terrain for the vehicles there. Units can bypass the building obstacle unless otherwise prohibited by moving through the orchard portion. So you just have a building with a depiction of this out-of-season orchards around it. You just skirt around the building normally, and uh, in that case, you would not be subject to movement open ground because it's got the orchards around the building. Uh, line of sight through a building orchard hacks. If it's not blocked by the building, it's subject to the orchard line of sight rules, obviously. And the terrain effect of the building is the normal for the type of building that it is. So you don't get anything extra. Kindling number of the orchard hex is 7 or 8 according to the type of building. So, uh, environmental conditions dial modifiers do not apply to kindling attempts. Building orchard, building slash orchard hexes, spreading fire numbers 9, and environmental conditions uh, dial modifiers do apply to the spreading fire dial. Provided the spreading fire is not from a flame in that hex nor from a directly attached building. Meg 1 for Fortified applies to all kindling spreading fire die rolls. If the building location is fortified, of course. 
There are building road hexes, which has a road running along the side of the hex, one of the hex sides and into the interior, and uh, then a building in there too. It's just treated like a narrow street, except units moving down the road are always considered in bypass, and line of sight is drawn to or from that vertex. Several hexes contain buildings with roads that parallel a hex side, straddle the hex side like a narrow road, but contain terrain other than a building or woods in the adjacent hex. So when you have that same hex, um, it's, it's next to just a road hex. Well, then it's saying that wouldn't quite be a narrow street, right? There's no building on the other side. I think so it's saying that in that case, for movement purposes, all bypass rules apply normally, except as clarified or amended herein for the hex side with the road. A unit using bypass along the hex side is always considered to be on the road with line of sight trades in the normal fashion. And if you are uh, going across a road hex side via bypass, you pay the road movement rate because you're on the road. And vehicle bypass movement is allowed, of course, regardless of the distance between the obstacle and the hex side. Dashing across or along the and routing along it are not applicable because there's no um, building on the other side. So it's uh, like a narrow road, except there's no building there, so there's no dashing, etc. We got a rule 4.4 for slopes and orchards. Because an upslope unit is treated as being at a different elevation than its base level, out-of-season orchards are same level line-of-sight hindrances to units in hexes with the same base levels as those orchards if the unit is upsloped target. Then they have rule 5, barbed wire fences. I'm wrapping that up here in a little bit. Um, barbed wire fences you know, existed in MMP products. Uh, where did they first come out? Comp Group Piper, I'm thinking. And in this case, the barbed wire fence is shown with the little gray X's, you know, just like the other there. And it's uh, along a hex side. It's not an obstacle nor a hindrance. It provides no TEM. It does not negate movement, open ground, or non-assault. And cannot be cleared or eliminated in any way, mostly because it's depicted on the board. The movement factor cost for it, I think, similar to the um, MMP barbed wire fences. You pay one plus cost of terrain to cross it, unless using armored assault, because then I think the tank might plow it down, or moving within a trench or a tunnel, in which case you're going under it, I guess. Uh, only the cost of terrain would apply in that case. No, currently, CX infantry may cross a barbed wire fence hex side. So if you're marked CX, like from double time, no going over there. All barbed wire fence hex side movement factor costs are doubled at night. The strain unit required but unable to cross a barbed wire fence hex side becomes TI instead. So if you get the strain and you have to go over it, you just TI. 5.2, temporary breach. Interesting rule here. Uh, Non-strain, good order, infantry, multi-man counter. Can create a temporary breach in one of the barbed wire fence hex sides by expend of its own hex by expending two extra movement factors. Okay, so it just comes up to the fence there, expends two extra movement factors, and you place the top edge of the multi-man counter over the hex side you want to like temporarily breach is the technical term there, and mark it TI that unit TI. 
So as long as it sits there, you know, unpinned, good order, all that, it's considered to be ha using hazardous movement, but that hexide's cost for other infantry coming through there becomes a half a movement factor. So it's kind of like these guys just kind of, I don't know if they do, they jump on it and throw their bodies on the barbed wire fence, pushing it downward. Well, you got a whole squad of guys, so maybe they go up and pull it down, you know, to lower it so other guys can get through there at a half movement factor instead of the full one movement factor. So that's kind of neat. You got a vehicle going, it's still going to have to take a bog check. Creating a temporary breach in a barbed wire location is a concealment loss activity. And then uh, for vehicles, um, it doesn't affect the barbed wire uh, hexide. It does not affect the movement points, but no motorcycle can go flying through there. Imagine what that might be like. And each vehicle that enters a new hex by crossing that hexide, it's got to do the bog check. So it's like your normal wire, chance of bogging. It's the same thing here with the barbed wire fence. In addition to any other bog check required for entry to the location. So if it bogs, it's left in the hex it was attempting to enter. And then if it gets a bog for both the wire and like the mud in that hex, if it gets two, um, then it is mired. So, And they have a little mini chart with rule 5.3. The only dyro modifier can apply to a barbed wire bog check are plus one, vehicle's not fully tracked, and a plus two, vehicle has a truck type expenditure, of course. Rule 5.4, bypass. Um, no effect to bypass, just go along like normal. By go run along the side of the fence there, no problem. Rule 6, they have trenches depicted on the map by a brown interior. Um, well, you just see the little trench, light little, um, you know, trench inside the hex side. So, and all rules apply, but you do need to place the trench counter on units to show that those are in the trench, as normal rules. And the last new type of terrain, well, it's not new. It's just a bunker and pillbox is rule seven. Uh, they have historical locations of pillboxes on the map, shown on the map. You don't have to place out a, you know, counter show the pillbox uh, by a square brown building with the white 135 strength factor designation and a red arrow points to the covered arc hex of the pillbox and then all the rules apply normally and if it's by a trench it's then it's a bunker um, does say place a 135 pillbox counter on the units again to show that they're inside the pillbox if you can't remember that I guess Hopefully you can remember which guys are in the pillbox, but but at least it's already on the map, so that's a little different. And that covers all the terrain types uh, that are included in Objective Schmidt. Down your way. 
Get your savings out when you hear him shout. Mini bonds today. Come on and get him, folks. Come on, skip right up and get him. Any bonds today. Bonds of freedom, that's what I'm selling. Any bonds today. Scrape up the most you can. Here comes the freedom man. Asking you to buy a share of freedom today. Money stamps today, give kiddies. We'll be blessed if we all invest in the USA. Sammy, my, my Uncle Sammy. Here comes the freedom man. He can't make tomorrow's plan. Not unless you buy a share of freedom today. Any stamps, any bonds today. That'll wrap up a show, folks, so thanks for listening, and remember to roll low and rally well, but not when you're playing me. Bye-bye. <laughs>